This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that Right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome back to New Books in Eastern European Studies, I'm your host, Leslie Waters, and my guest is Michal Kshinyan, author of the new book, Milan Rostislav Stefanik, the Slovak national hero and co-founder of Czechoslovakia, published by Rutledge in 2021. Welcome, Michal. Hello, Leslie. Thank, thanks for having me. So let me tell you a bit about our author for today. So Michal Kshinyan defended his dissertation in history in 2011, summa cum laude, receiving a joint PhD between the University of Paris Panthéon-Sorbonne, where he later lectured, and the Institute of History of the Slovak Academy of Sciences, where he currently works. He's written several books about Stefanik, edited or co-edited five volumes, and published dozens of scientific papers on various topics. His works have been published in Slovak, French, English, Italian, German, and Russian. He's the recipient of several prestigious scholarships and awards, including the prize of the President of the Slovak Republic for the Best Student of Slovakia in 2011, a Fulbright in 2014, and the Slovak Academy of Sciences European Research Council Visiting Fellowship Grant in 2021. Since June of this year, he's a member of the Presidium of the Slovak Academy of Sciences. So to get started, Mikhail, I uh, was wondering if you could explain to our listeners who was uh, Milan Rostislav Stefanik and how did you become interested in writing his biography? Yes, yes, to present him, Leslie, I think it's, it, should, it would be very useful because he's not very much known abroad. In Slovakia, he's, he's very, very much known. But um, in Western Europe, uh, let's say for, for ordinary people, he's, he's completely unknown. So he was born in Slovakia in 1880, what was at the time Upper, Hung- Upper Hungary. And he studied in, uh, in Prague, in Czech Charles University, uh, astronomy. After the end of his studies, he, uh, he started his scientific career and left for Paris, where he started to, co- to collaborate with uh, um, prestigious or 
accomplished scientists as uh, Jules Janssen or Henri Poincaré. Well, he he was uh, he was a great traveler because one of uh, one of the main topic of his research was the solar eclipses. So he did a lot of expeditions all around the world because so, so probably you know and you can observe the solar eclipse always from different or solar eclipses always from different spots of the of the planet. But after after several attempts, uh, failed attempts to find a stable job in France, he took a very important decision, and he uh, he decided to build his own observatory at Tahiti, which was uh, or which still is now uh, at the time it was French colony and now it's it's part of France. After the beginning of the war, he well he became a military pilot in spite of his very bad health. Uh, and he was fighting mainly in Western Front and in Serbian Front. But the, by the end of 1915, he started to collaborate with Tomáš Garik Masaryk and mainly with uh, Edvard Benes. And they, uh, and they organized Czechoslovak movement abroad. Mainly they, they founded Czechoslovak National Council, and the, the main project or project of this uh, of this Czechoslovak movement abroad was the creation of the Czechoslovak legions. That was the army of uh, that fought uh, on the, on the side of uh, untanned armies against the central powers. What's also very interesting about Stefanik, he became a general only within three and a half years. It was not due to his uh, like military activities, but uh, mainly due to his. Uh, Diplomatic activities, because of course he was he was fighting for for independent Czechoslovakia, but he was French citizen, and France uh, supported this project. And in order to boost his uh, prestige, uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs always insist, in, insisted to promote uh, well, to promote uh, Stefanik in higher rank. But he died tragically shortly after the end of the war in 1919. And uh, uh, in airplane crash, while returning to his, uh, let's say, liberated home homeland, as he used to <laughs> used to say it. Uh, so, um, so he he died shortly shortly afterwards. And uh, how did I become uh, interested in in his biography? That's actually a funny story, <laughs> because I I studied history and French language at. Uh, at Comenius University in Bratislava. And uh, my professor, Professor Letts, told me that, oh, Michal, do you want to, to do the research about Stefanik in, uh, in France? I said, oh, okay, why not? Uh, I was, at the time, I was a little bit more interested in medieval studies, but I said, okay, so why not to go to France <laughs> and to study there? And then I, then I learned the opportunity was opened at Sorbonne, uh, and then I learned how this how this idea came up because there was one professor, one professor of theatrology, Mr. Mistrick, who was uh, who was in touch with uh, uh, with the with professors at, at Sorbonne. And the professor at Sorbonne, Mr. Mares, uh, he was writing the biography of Edward Benesh. Uh, Mr. Subigu, his assistant, was writing or wrote already the biography of Tomáš Garin Masaryk. And as you Leslie probably know, and maybe maybe also our listeners, we Slovaks are always like to compare ourselves to Czechs. 
<laughs> and so he was teasing them. Oh, one is writing the biography of Masaryk and other is writing biography of Benesh. But why are you not writing biography of uh, of Stefani? He was French citizen and so on and so on. And they told him that if you want someone to write uh, Stefani's biography, you just you have to send us send us someone. And it happened to be me. <laughs> and uh, I wrote, uh, uh, I published uh, Stefani's biography uh, in Fran- in French uh, two years ago in 2019. So. Well, and that's uh, the book that we are talking about. It's uh, a little bit uh, re, uh, reworked, uh, reworked version of this of this French biography. So, this is how I became <laughs> uh, interested in the, in writing Stefani's biography. Excellent. Uh, well, I'd like to talk a little bit about sources with you before we get into the sort of. Um... The substance of your book. So in your introduction, you mentioned that you conducted research at Slovak, Czech, French, Italian, British, American, and Russian archives, among others. So what types of documents did you consult to write this biography? And how did they help you to reconstruct aspects of Stefanik's life? Yeah, one, one, one of my ambition, ambitions was to uh, to study all the relevant documents about Stefanik, so I, I tried to I tried to do as much research as possible. It took me a really long time, and I think I, I saw all the all the relevant uh, relevant documents about him, except uh, maybe for Russian archives, because well, maybe you you know um, an access for foreign uh, for foreign researchers to the Russian archives. It's not always easy, mm-hmm. but when I went to Moscow in two thousand twelve. My friends from Russian Academy of Sciences uh, recommended me to the to the director of the military archives, and I went there. Uh, and there was a very nice lady. She brought me all the all the necessary papers. And to take one picture of any document, it cost uh, five euros. Mm-hmm. So it was extremely 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 expensive because there was a lot of documents. But she was very nice, and she left me with all those documents alone. But I didn't have enough courage to take the pictures of all those documents because, <laughs> well, you know, in Russian military archives, even before uh, 2012, <laughs> I was afraid of being uh, accused of, uh, of, <laughs> of being foreign spy. But, well, fortunately, uh, fortunately, the, our Russian colleagues published two volumes of documents about Czechoslovak legions in Russia. So thanks to thanks to their work, I could have uh, I could. I could uh, base my research also on, on on Russian archives, but if someone will be willing to look <laughs> more in details in Russian archives, I think it could be very uh, very useful. And uh, as uh, about the nature of the of the uh, of the of the documents, uh, I think mainly in uh, Slovak and Czech archives, uh, uh, I found the personal personal papers papers of uh, of Stefanik, so it helped me to reconstruct more. Some like personal features of Stefanik, but in, in archives in uh, in uh, France, uh, mainly in France, in Italy, uh, or in Great Britain, or in the United States, those were more uh, more uh, th- those documents were, were more of an official nature. So it helped me to 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 reconstruct um, more or less like some of this uh, this like, let's say professional professional activities of. Uh, of Stefanik. Great, thank you so much. 
So you have a mix, I, I suppose, of these kinds of diplomatic documents or military documents. Yes. And then you have these personal papers that, that give you an insight into his, uh, I don't know, his, his personal relationships. And uh, yeah, I know you write a little bit about how he's like kind of a Casanova type figure, um, <laughs> very successful with the ladies. So uh, it really is an impressive body of work that you've come up with. Oh, thank you. So as I read your book, I was struck by how similar of a man Stefanik was to somebody like Fritjof Nansen or even Benjamin Franklin, these famous scientist, explorer, diplomat personalities. So can you tell us uh, about Stefanik the scientist and uh, his big contri contributions to uh, scientific field and projects? So Stefanik was a son of a, of a protestant, of the, of a protestant past, uh, pastor. So he believed in God very strongly, you know, in this really typical conservative Slovak rural society. But uh, uh, like great turning point uh, happened or occurred uh, during his uh, during his studies in Prague, where he lost his faith. And uh, well, at the time it was uh, it was quite common, and he says the, with the progress of the secularization, and he saw the opposition between science and God. He thought that uh, well. Um, he didn't think that God is anymore, or the, the the Christian faith is anymore to to answer all all those important questions. But it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be the science that 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 will give us all the all the uh, in, all all important answers. So, uh, but later he just uh, later, of course, he he a little bit changed his his opinion. But um, uh, uh, as I mentioned already, Stefanik studied astronomy. He did uh, he did a lot of missions all around the world, and his his scientific career was uh, was uh, quite decent. Let's say um, he was not the best astronomer of the time, but he was uh, he published a lot. Uh, and if mainly if we taking into consideration that he was not able to to focus himself on uh, on uh, on his scientific career, I think we can say that he he did a pretty good job. But the most important, uh, the most important uh, project, a pre-war scientific project, was the establishment of Tahiti Observatory uh, at Papet, uh, at the, the capital city of Tahiti, and uh, that's that's why he moved from a little bit from his scientific activities towards uh, towards diplomatic ones, because he he was aware that uh, just a simple astronomy, uh, astron uh, just a simple observatory. Uh, would uh, would have some problems to to gain the support from from state officials. So he wanted to join his observatory with wireless uh, telegraphy station and and weather forecast uh, service. And as he always thought in very broad <laughs> perspectives, he wanted to to create a worldwide wireless telegraphy net. It was also the the ambition of of the France at the time. Uh, because France wanted to join uh, all the all the colonies, uh, all the all its colonies all around the world uh, with wireless uh, with wireless telegraphy uh, network, and so he he wanted to he wanted to cre to to create uh, observatories and wireless telegraphy stations in in uh, in several countries, and but to in order to, to connect Tahiti with Martinique, that was another. Uh, another uh, another French colony. He needed some station in between, and he chose Galapagos Islands. 
because uh, well, it's, uh, that uh, that uh, belong uh, belong and still still belongs to uh, to Ecuador. So he did a pretty important diplomatic mission in this country. Uh, he wanted to boost uh, French uh, French influence in this country. He wanted to acquire one of the Galapagos Island. Uh, to France, well, from diplomatic point of view, it was not a great success. But from uh, from scientific point of view, it was it was more uh, uh, it was more successful. But what was uh, was also very important, he get uh, he get the cross of the knight of the Legion d'honneur and this uh, very important French state uh, state uh, order, state state recognition, and. Uh, that was uh, that was before the war and after the war. He became a military pilot and he came or uh, he made up a lot of inventions or he wanted to he wanted to improve uh, uh, several military equipments, mainly related to to the aviation. Mm-hmm. But his his most important uh, scientific uh, project during the war was that he created a military weather forecast uh, for one section of French front. Uh, that was under the command of uh, of General Foch. Later, will be very very well known, uh, Marshal Ferdinand Foch. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, as I already said, Stefanik was not uh, was not uh, uh, satisfied with some local partial uh, solution. So he wanted to uh, to create interallied military weather forecast uh, service. Uh, we don't know. We don't know. We don't have. Uh, very much details about this is about his activities, but we know that in his personal papers in Slovak National Archives, we can find uh, uh, we can find the records from the military from uh, weather forecast forecast from uh, Greece, from Romania. By the way, in Romania, it was Stefani who founded it. Uh, this military weather forecast service uh, from Italy, from France, and uh, from some other countries. So uh, that's uh, that's uh, that was important to uh, to underline that he always. Thought in very broad, uh, in very broad perspective, and it was it was this switch from uh, uh, from uh, from scientific activities towards to, to towards diplomatic ones. Mm-hmm. Great, thank you so much. So, um, diving into your second chapter, uh, this is where we start to see some of the methodological choices that you've made in order to analyze. Stefanik. So you use uh, Pierre Bourdieu's concept of social capital to analyze Stefanik in, in chapter two. How do you use this concept and, and what does the framework reveal for you about Stefanik? Yes, great. Uh, well, uh, first of all, let me uh, allow me to do some uh, preliminary, preliminary methodological remarks uh, mm-hmm. uh, for, our, uh, for our listeners. Well, my uh, the structure of my book is not uh, chronological; it's more uh, thematic. So, when I choose uh, four different approaches that analyzes various aspects of of Stefanik's of Stefanik's life, but then, and by doing this, I wanted to to offer to the readers complex and complete picture, or maybe rather pictures uh, of uh, of Stefanik. And what was the the real? Uh, what was the real um, challenge for me? That uh, on the one hand, I wanted to capture all the ri- uh, on how rich and extraordinary his life was, and on the other hand, I wanted to stay faithful to my uh, profession of, of historian and to on um, stay on. Um, I wanted to be uh, stay analytical. 
So this this was really uh, really very tough, very very difficult to to not to to not to write uh, like uh, some apologetical apologetic um, uh, biography. And my my basic question is like how Stefanik became a Slovak or the Slovak national hero, or or more broadly how somehow uh, how someone become uh, a national hero. So, and one of one of the one of the responses is that uh, one of the uh, one of the chapter, the main four chapters, uh, I, in, in it I use I use the concept of uh, of social capital uh, of Pierre Bourdieu because Stefanik had a lot of friends and acquaintances, and I took this uh, this social capital as a tool to to analyze it. Uh, I, I wanted to capture his uh, like his ability to profit from his uh, from his networks, and it's uh, uh, well uh, uh, this this concept of social capital helped me to to show that uh, it's not uh, if I meet someone, I it's not only this this first meeting that is important; it's also very important, but it's also this uh, maintaining of this of this relation as as uh, as uh, Pierre Bourdieu. Uh, as Pierre Bourdieu uh, wrote it, that uh, we have to maintain this social capital by investing an effort, money, our knowledge, uh, and and so on and so on. So this uh, this mm, uh, this process of maintaining uh, social capital is uh, is very important. And what's what's also very uh, very interesting about Stefanik was how he transformed his social and cultural capital into economic one. But uh, mm-hmm. I will come. I will come to this to this point to this point later. I, I showed, uh, well, I, or I, I could, uh, uh, well, I think that Stefanik used uh, three different uh, three different tactics in order to to maintain and to accumulate uh, accumulate his uh, uh, his social capital. First of all, it was direct or professional contact. Uh, well, if we take. Uh, uh, an example of Jules Janssen, a famous French astrophysician. Stefanik was es- expanding his work. He was building uh, on it. So he was, he was pushing uh, kind of, uh, he was pushing his heritage, heritage further. That's why, that was one of the reasons why uh, why uh, Janssen uh, supported Stefanik. Uh, it was uh, also, uh, well, we, we could, uh, could uh, I can uh, give a, uh, other examples, but I don't, I don't think it's, it's that important now. Another another important uh, contact uh, is family contact, because as, as Bourdieu states, this family is the is the crucial place of uh, reproduction of the social capital. And first of all, it was of course Stefanik's family, but then later on, it was all those families in in Prague or in uh, in Paris where where he went uh, uh, where he went in in uh, 1904 and. Uh, so, for example, Stefani met there, um, let's say, Senator uh, Emil Schotan. But uh, it was not only the senator who supported him; it was the whole his family and his daughter, Ivan Schotan, uh, fell in love with Stefanik. They got engaged, uh, and uh, the the son of Emil Schotan uh, helped Stefanik to find uh, to find some financial support in the ministries, and so on and so on. So it was not only uh, only some one one persons, but it was the whole families that that uh, uh, that supported him. And another uh, and the last uh, last contact, I think it's very important in the case of Stefanik is mediated contact, because mm-hmm. uh, as I said already before the World War One, 
uh, Stefanik traveled a lot, but after after war broke up, uh, after after uh, war broke out, uh, he traveled even more. So, but he needed uh, he he had to be at least some symbolically present in different places. So uh, let's say when he was uh, negotiating. Uh, uh, negotiating uh, green light for the creation of the Czechoslovak legions in in uh, Rome, he was traveling every two weeks to Paris in order to maintain his uh, his strong position in in French society. Or he used different uh, different strategies. For example, it was mainly Benesh who represented him in in France, or he had another person who kind of maintained his uh, his uh, his influence in in those uh, in those milieus. And as a case study, I can I can uh, I can mention that Stefanik, uh, it was Stefanik who got rid of uh, Josef Durich. It was uh, it was another important Czech politician who went abroad during the World War One, and he wanted to uh, to lead uh, the Czechoslovak movement, but he wanted to 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 do it more of a pro-Russian way. It didn't. It didn't. Uh, um, Stefanik and um, Benes and Masaryk they were not happy about it, and uh, I reconstruct how Stefanik used his his contacts from uh, from French Ministry of Foreign Affairs to uh, let's say journalist in in American in American Czech and Slovak community. So he he really mobilized his social capital in order to discredit Durich. And uh, by the way, Durich had much more. I would say Durich, Durich had had much more. Uh, uh, oh, can give me a second to find the right word uh, uh, because he was the deputy of the Reichsrat. I think his uh, his authority was much much stronger than than uh, than the one of Stefani because Stefani didn't have uh, was not a deputy. But mm-hmm. anyway, Stefani succeeded to get rid of uh, of uh, of Durich and. Uh, Thus, unifying the Czechoslovak movement because it was not easy to unify to, to unify there. No, but no, every, not everybody wanted to respect the leading position of Stefanik, Benesh, and Masaryk. And as I as I as I mentioned already, the the, the process of transformation is uh, social and cultural capital uh, to the economic one. Stefanik built uh, his observatory at uh, in Tahiti, and it it cost. Two hundred fifty thousand francs. It was really a lot of money. Let, let's say, let's compare it to Stefanik paid a rent for his flat uh, in Paris, in rather poorer neighborhood in fourteen uh, in fourteen district. Uh, it was uh, six hundred fifty francs per year. Mm-hmm. So we can really see that he was very successful in this transformation. Uh, he he, he uh, in this transformation of this social capital into into economic one. Great, thank you. Yeah, that's really fascinating, um, especially you know, as you say, to take this social capital and outmaneuver essentially uh, the more legitimate, perhaps, Jurich uh, when when mm. we're talking about the First World War. And I also think it's what uh, it really separates this or allows you to write a biography that deviates so strongly from what we might consider hagiography, right? So, mm-hmm. so pushing these sorts of uh, sociological concepts has been, I think, really successful for your book. Thank you. <laughs> that was one of my ambitions <laughs> in, in writing it. So I have a similar question for you for your third chapter, which focuses on Max Weber's idea of the charismatic leader. 
How do you use this concept? And in what ways does Stefanik meet the criteria for you of a charismatic leader? Yeah, I was uh, as, uh, thinking about Stefanik and thinking about about memories and reminiscences on him, like even when a lot of people mentioned his heroism, his, his brilliance, his high ideals, his high values, I was looking for some tool that would allow me to, to analyze this, uh, this side of his, uh, of his personality. And uh, well, Stefanik uh, presented uh, science and uh, French influence before the World War I as, uh, as values that, uh, that were worth it uh, of, support, of support. And during the World War I, it was the so-called liberation of the, of the, of the Czechoslovak nation. And he was putting himself in the position of, uh, of let's say, intermediary because uh, he said that, well, by supporting me, you are not supporting me as a person. You are supporting these high ideals that I am fighting for. And those ideals are worth of, of the support. And uh, by, by this way, he was showing a way to, for the, to, the, better, to the better future, future for, for a society. But we should also keep in mind the historical context that was very, very favorable to to the progress. People were people were imp- people were impressed by scientific progress, by the secularization, and Stefani was kind of symbol of it. He was he was symbol of the of the modern of the modern times because he was specialist on wireless telegraphy. Uh, he was an astronomer. He was meteorologist. He was a military pilot. He was a traveler. He was a great speaker he was a great romantic seducer and well if you had uh, this kind of people came uh, uh walked in to some saloon salons in uh, in uh, french capital or in italian capital he, he captured he captured very easily uh very easily the attention of uh, of the of, of of the people or of the, of the public and uh, well also some let's say some ordinary things uh, for for normal people he was able to turn to turn into his into his favor well let's take an example of his health issues because he was he had uh, very serious health problems during uh, during all his life and uh, uh, he uh, and he he took several surgeries during the war and also before the war and so on and so on and when people well people when people were telling him that uh, Come on, Stefanik, you are too sick. You have to get the rest. You have to because if you continue like if you continue to live like this, you you're gonna die. He responded that oh now it's no time to rest. Now it's time to uh, to fight for the for the freedom of my of my people and of my country. And uh, it really worked because uh, when we read, uh, for example, some memories of uh, of uh, French people that knew him, they were saying that. Uh, more uh, Stefanik, uh, or mm, when uh, when the health of Stefanik was getting worse, uh, the the idea of of, uh, of Czechoslovakia was getting, or the or the the prospect of uh, of the creation of the Czechoslovakia were getting better, and they were saying that he was almost giving his life to the to the idea of the of the birth of of, of Czechoslovakia, and it's also important to to stress that he was a great story t- storyteller. And he was a great seducer, as as we as we mentioned already. But uh, uh, he was he really enjoyed the, this uh, process of seducing, 
he was not uh, as much as Don Juan, or even if, uh, well, he, he really liked <laughs> he really liked woman. But I, I really liked one uh, one of his stories that uh, that he used to say in uh, in French and and, and uh, Italian sal- salons that uh, he he was charged observing a solar eclipse in one remote small remote small small island in French Polynesia, and when he came. To this island, he called or, or found a local uh, a chief of the of the local tribe and told him, "My friend, we have a big problem. Have big problem. The sun is gonna disappear tomorrow. But don't worry, don't worry. The French government is aware of its uh, of its duty towards its own citizens, and French government is sending me. So I will make sure that the sun is gonna disappear. Is gonna re- reappear tomorrow." And of course, he was an astronomer. He knew very well when the when the solar solar eclipse will took place. And so the next day, uh, everything happened as Stefani predicted, and the local local chief uh, was really amazed, enchanted by this uh, by this magician who could uh, who was able to uh, uh, to to make the sun reappear. So that, that is one of the of the of the stories that Stefani was. Uh, was telling in uh, uh, in in free in Paris and in Rome, but uh, of course today we are not able to know, uh, we, we or we we cannot we are we are not sure whether this happened this way as Stefanik told it, or rather I would say I'm sure that it didn't happen this way. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it is not important because as we know now that Stefanik was exaggerating, the people uh, at the time they knew as well that he was exaggerating, and but. In the same time, they knew that before this exaggeration, there is a lot of life experiences, there is a lot of travels, there is a lot of knowledge, and so on and so on. So he, uh, it was, uh, it was way uh, of uh, boosting his uh, his position in uh, in this uh, in this society that that knew that he was exaggerating, but it was not as it was not that much important. Right. Yeah. So another example of sort of instrumentalizing one's capital here. He's had life experiences that others haven't. Um, So I want to talk now about about Czechoslovak politics and and the ways in which Stefanik became involved. So in you describe and I found it very interesting, like in contrast to uh, James Ward's recent biography of of Tiso, who definitely changed his political and kind of ethnic identity over time. Stefanik seems to be somebody who is very assured of his Slovak identity throughout his life. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he was involved in the Czechoslovak project always. So how does he become involved in Czechoslovak Mm. politics? Yes, yes, it's uh, it's very interesting. I think Stefanik is in very particular position because, uh, well, he's uh, in Slovakia. I think we will talk about it later. He's not he's seen as as the national hero, but he's not really part of 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 Slovak history or, or of Czechoslovak history as he lived all his active life uh, in France, like from uh, 1904 until 1919. All those 15 years, uh, he he was not uh, he was almost not present in in at the time it was Austria-Hungary, but what we what is what was later Czechoslovakia. So this is it's really interesting interesting position. And but this involvement in Czechoslovak politics, I think it has its its roots in in his studies in Prague, where uh, where he met 
Tomáš Garik Masaryk, and he was hugely impressed by him. Tomáš Masaryk was a great professor. He was was admired by his students, and Stefanik was was one of them. And also, also during this time, Stefanik started to uh, to think that Slovaks should uh, more cooperate uh, cooperate uh, with Czechs uh, from in. Uh, Uh, from political point of view, and he was also also during his uh, his stay in Paris uh, before the war. He was all the time in uh, in connection with some Czechs. Uh, uh, so so this connection to the Czech uh, to the Czech society was was really strong. And uh, after the after the war broke out, uh, he he acted rather alone. He wanted to 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 create a air squadron composed of Czechs and Slovaks uh, that would fight uh, that would fight on the side of Antand or in in the French army uh, but uh, the the real turning point here is the, his meeting with uh, with Edward Benesch as i mentioned it already in 1915 and he started to collaborate with uh, uh, Benesch Masaryk Durich uh, and this uh, well this these four people as i mentioned already they get rid of Durich uh, uh, soon after but they created the Czechoslovak National Council the central body of the Czechoslovak movement abroad and their uh, their main their main object their, their their main goal was the political reconstruction of the central europe uh, mainly the dismemberment of uh, austria-hungary and the creation of czechoslovakia so they were saying that the, uh, that they wanted to create uh, recreate poland at north mm-hmm. uh, then czechoslovakia in the middle and Yugoslavia in south and they wanted to join uh, Czechoslovakia with Yugoslavia with this famous corridor because they were arguing that uh, Austria-Hungary Austria-Hungary was not uh, anymore uh, able to stop German Drangnachost and of course we all know that the main enemy during the World War One was uh, was Germany but uh, the Czechoslovak National Council and the Czechoslovak movement abroad was arguing that the real problem is the all is is the Austro-Hungarian Empire because through this Austro-Hungarian Empire uh, Germans uh, can realize their their expansion towards the east and by by recreating this uh, this uh, this central european space by creating Poland Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia that would be uh, allies of Antant uh, those states uh, were supposed to be able to to stop the german uh, the german um, expansion towards towards the east so how does he compare then to the two czech founding statesmen mazarik and, and banish you know, he works obviously he collaborates with them closely but he he strikes me in how you wrote about him as as a quite different type of person Yes, uh, he was <clears throat> he was definitely <laughs> really very different from uh, from Edward Benesch. Uh, Edward Benesch was a real politician and diplomat. I mean, it's really different to find uh, another aspects in his life. So, Thomas Masaryk is more uh, is more complex. Of course, he was uh, he was a great uh, philosopher, but he was also great great politician. But this, uh, I would say, this human uh, this human aspects of Stefanik is. Is very is very striking, but uh, well, if we if we speak about say political uh, political history, I mean the the Stefanik died soon after after the the, the birth of Czechoslovakia. He, he died in nineteen nineteen, and he also he was not able to take any important political 
position in uh, in Czechoslovakia for any length of time. So that's why uh, Benesh and Masaryk are much more known abroad than uh, uh, than than Stefanik. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, it is it is I think important to mention that memories of of Masaryk and Benesh were wrote after the uh, were wrote after the after the World War One, and they were translated into into French and into English. So. Uh, so that's uh, that's one of the uh, one of the aspects that <laughs> that uh, plays in in uh, uh, against 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 Stefani because of course when you were uh, when you were reducing credit of one of the co-founders of uh, of the Czechoslovakia it increased the credit of the of the other co-founders uh, mm-hmm. of uh, of Czechoslovakia but uh, well, as, uh, my my point or I don't think the task of the historian is to defend the uh, position or activities of one particular uh, person or, or historical historical person, uh, but uh, this Stefanik contribution to the to the establishment of uh, of Czechoslovakia, I see main, mainly in in two um, in two spaces. It was mainly in France because at the beginning uh, at the beginning uh, of the of the Czechoslovak movement abroad. So it means in nineteen sixteen. Uh, because the 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 real pro, the the real progress was made mainly in 1918, from the Czechoslovak point of view, Stefanik was really crucial in in France. He knew he knew all the all the most important politicians. He he was uh, received by the president of the republic. Uh, he get uh, thanks to his activities, thanks to his diplomatic activities before the World War One. He he knew. All the most important uh, politicians in 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 France, and uh, another another important contribution uh, of Stefanik was in Italy, where he was able to change the very negative position of the of the Italian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Baron Sonino, towards uh, towards the Czechoslovak towards the Czechoslovak movement, but. Uh, it's uh, it's always uh, well. There was a lot of conflicts about Benesh and Stefanik, uh, uh, mainly about the question who who is going to be the number two after 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 Masaryk. But uh, uh, mainly in let's say in Slovak historiography, we um, or uh, some historians forget to forget that their cooperation was great. Even Louis Weiss, that was. Uh, uh, famous French feminist and journalist who fell in love uh, completely uh, with with Stefanik. She said that she never she never saw uh, two person that hate that hated that much that, that much each other, uh, Stefanik and Benesh. Mm-hmm. But uh, their cooperation was amazing. So mm-hmm. and uh, if we if we are looking at it from broader po- uh, point of view. Uh, uh, as the Czechoslovakia was established in 1918, we should uh, we should say that uh, this their cooperation was really efficient. So, can you tell the listeners about the Czechoslovak legions a bit more? I know you already discussed, but um, it's such a critical part of the sort of founding mythology of the state. Uh, so, tell us about the legions and Stefanik's role in founding them. This is Stefanik played a crucial role in in in, in their founding. Uh, well, the Czechoslovak legions was uh, officially, or its official name was the Czechoslovak Army Abroad, and it was co- it was composed of the volunteers, 
that were recruited mainly among the prisoners of war of uh, of the of the Austro-Hungarian army, and those prisoners of war were of course of Czech and or Slovak origins, and uh, those volunteers were also uh, were also enrolled among the compatriots among the Czechs and Slovak compatriots compatriots living living abroad. And this uh, this project of uh, of uh, the Czechoslovak legions was the central and the most important project of the Czechoslovak movement, because by uh, by showing by 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 creating this army uh, that were fighting against by the way against against its homeland, <laughs> they were uh, uh, it was it was very very particular uh, situation. Uh, so there, the, the Czechoslovak movement was showing that Czechs and Slovaks. In the Austro-Hungarian uh, Empire, are not happy with their destiny, and they wanted to. They wanted their. Uh, they wanted their, their liberty, and uh, Stefanik played a crucial role in. Uh, and well, those uh, those legions were were created in France, Italy, and in Russia, and Stefanik played a crucial role in all those three countries. Uh, well, let's begin with France, where Stefanik was active uh, in negotiating this. Uh, Permit or this this uh, presidential decree that allowed uh, that allowed uh, the creation of the of the of the Czechoslovak army or the Czechoslovak legions in France. But the main problem uh, of the of the Czechoslovak movement in France was, was that there were not not prisoners of war of the Austro-Hungarian army, but mm-hmm. simply because France didn't didn't have a common fr- common front with the Austro with the Austro-Hungarian with the with the with the Austro-Hungary. So Stefanik had to do a lot of missions. He went to to Russia, to Romania, to the United States, to Italy, in order to find uh, to find the volunteers for this uh, for this Czechoslovak legions uh, in France. And uh, in the end, there were around uh, 10,000 10, soldiers uh, uh, in the in the Czechoslovak in the Czechoslovak legions in uh, in uh, France. In Italy, I think. Uh, this Stefanik uh, uh, Stefanik's Italian mission is the most important uh, is his most important mission during the during the the war because Italy uh, was uh, didn't like all this whole this whole movement of no, of the nationality the so-called nationalities of the of the Aust- of Austro-Hungarian Empire uh, simply because the Yugoslav movement had the had the same territorial demands as as Italy on the on the on the Adriatic coast, so Italy was uh, refusing all not only the just Yugoslav uh, Yugoslav uh, demands, but also Czechoslovak demands, uh, say Romanian and, and Polish demands. And uh, this um, Benesh did several missions in Italy. He wanted to convince them to to allow the creation of the of the Czechoslovak legions in two thousand in nineteen seventeen, but he was not very successful and in. In 1918, Stefani came there, and after one month, he convinced the the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Baron Sonino, uh, to to give uh, green light uh, to the creation of the of the Czechoslovak legions in uh, in Italy. It was in April uh, 1918, and if you want to compare it, for example, the Russian, uh, sorry, the Rom- Romanian and Polish legions. Were allowed to be created only in August of 1918. So it shows us that Stefanik, this Stefanik mission was was very successful. And finally, there was around 
20,000 Czechoslovak legionnaires in Italy. And the last country was Russia, where the situation was <laughs> was the most complex from uh, if we compare it to the to the two previous, or, or was more com- much more complex than if we compare the situation to the two previous countries. Stefanik did two missions in in Russia. First in 1916-1917, thanks to his activities, uh, this new Russian provisionary government uh, uh, allowed uh, uh, creation of the Czechoslovak legions, but later, soon after, Kerensky, the minister of war, changed his mind and uh, and, uh, uh, and, uh, the the recruitment of the uh, among the prisoners of war was not allowed anymore. And then Stefani came uh, came uh, to to Russia in 1918 in November. He left the European continent in August 1918. So during the war was still going on here. But when he came when he came to Russia, he he drew the, he 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 did. Uh, uh, he did uh, almost uh, the journey through the whole world because he went to to Vladivostok through the United States and Japan. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he came there, the war was already over, and uh, the Czechoslovak legions were fighting uh, were fighting against the Bolsheviks uh, during uh, during the war. Their aim was to recreate the Eastern Front after the after the signature of the Brest-Litovsk Peace Treaty, and after after the after the war. There were supposed to be the core of the of the inter-allied uh, intervention army uh, to to Russia, but of course they they were not very much motivated anymore to to fight uh, mm-hmm. to fight this war because Czechoslovakia was already created. It was it was already in November, and as we know, Czechoslovakia was created on twenty eighth uh, uh, no uh, on twenty eighth October nineteen eighteen, and the uh, the things get. Uh, uh, turn out even more, much more complicated when a uh, very f- uh, pro-monarchic uh, admiral Alexander Kolchak uh, took power or uh, took power in uh, in Siberia, and those Czechoslovak legionnaires were much more left uh, left uh, wing uh, orientated. So they didn't so they they didn't really like this new political situation. Stefanik came to to Russia with, uh, let's say, uh, a little bit naive, uh, a little bit naive uh, idea. He wanted to to, fay, uh, to, to fight uh, his way through Russia, through to, to Czechoslovakia, and and to liberate it, to, to liberate Czechoslovakia this way. But after after uh, visiting, uh, after after several visits of the units on the front, he realized that it was not anymore possible and he uh, he, he ordered uh, the Czechoslovak army to retreat. Uh, at the time, he was already the minister of war of the of the newly founded Czechoslovakia and there was also very a uh, lot of uh, mm, the, the, the situation of the Czechoslovak legions were, was very complicated because uh, before... Uh, before before the birth of Czechoslovakia, it was a voluntary army and it has an autonomy. So it was very interesting <laughs> that it was it was special council of the soldiers that was taking the military decisions. So this this military hierarchy, hierarchy didn't apply for for the Czechoslovak legions. But after the creation of the Czechoslovakia, it was or Stefanik wanted to reorganize it into regular army, and this regular army was supposed to obey. Its government and mainly its Ministry of, uh, of War 
Stefanik. Uh, Stefanik understood that he was not able to uh, he was not able to uh, uh, to, um, uh, to to resolve this uh, this problem in Russia. So he came back to to Europe and started to negotiate with Marshal Foch in order to retrieve the Czechoslovak legions from uh, from Russia. And there was really a lot of them. Uh, there was around sixty thousand legionnaires. Mm-hmm. Great, thank you. So uh, I now want to turn to a discussion of of the issues of citizenship and belonging, which you describe in some depth throughout throughout the book. So how ultimately should we think about Stefanik from this perspective? Is he best to be considered as a cosmopolitan citizen of the world? Or should we follow his uh, French citizenship? Should we take into consideration his close links with Italy, uh, his Slovak ethnic identity, his Czechoslovak political orientation, or maybe even something else? What do you think? Yeah, that's... (laughs) That's great, and at the same time, very complicated question. <laughs> because, well, uh, if, as I mentioned already, Stefanik traveled a lot. He he was born in Slovakia. He did his studies in a lot of uh, small towns all around uh, all around the Hungarian kingdom. His his university studies he did in he did in Prague. Then he moved to uh, to Paris. He got a French citizenship in 1912. His fiance was Italian Marquise Giuliana Benzoni, he, and, and so on and so on. He was a he was a scientist, so this led him to some sort of cosmopolitan feeling. Uh, so this uh, all, all, all the all his life, uh, like kind of, uh, um, uh, was typical to to this multiplicity of his identities, because usually we think that. Uh, People mainly, if we speak about the national identity, people can have one identity because, well, I'm Slovak, he is Hungarian, he is I don't know whatever. But mainly, uh, well, this is like this stereotypical vision. But uh, we know that there was uh, mainly in in Central Europe with all these uh, multi-ethnical societies, people could have uh, could have uh, multiple identities. And Stefanik was, in the same time, Slovak, and in the same time, Czechoslovak. He was. He really liked all Slavic nations. He was French citizens. He said that I will be, I will be, um, I will be willing to 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 die for as much for Slovakia as for France. Uh, and when he was at the top of Mont Blanc, uh, where he did uh, where he did um, uh, astronomical observations, he wrote that he's he's uh, cosmopolitan. Uh, and so on and so on. But what is uh, what was very what was one of the of the ambition of uh, of my chapter was that in the historiography often his Slovak identity and Czechoslovak identity are presented as contradictory, and in the same time his Slovak identity and his cosmopolitan identity are presented as contradictory. And I wanted to show that his his ident- this this Stefanik's identities were not contradictory; they were they were much more in harmony. And uh, well, in the same time as I can be a guy from Bratislava, Slovak, Central European, and whatever European, it, it doesn't mean that it, that one should contradict another. But it was uh, it was rather those discussions about the nature of of Slovak identity in general that influenced the this uh, the stereotypical uh, representations of uh, of Stefanik's identities. 
Yeah, I, this is so important. Thank you. I, it actually is like a major contribution also to the de de debates that the Central and Eastern European historians have been having about national indifference and all of these sorts of ways of talking about people. Here you have somebody who's the Slovak national hero and even mm. doesn't necessarily fit easily into a categorization of of um, like a, a very strict national identity. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so... Mm. Um, it's great because, you know, most of this research has been done on kind of everyday people, not mm. like non, non-politicians, but even that you can find examples of this among the elites is, is really fascinating. Um, so I want to start to close things out by talking a bit about uh, Stefanik's death and the controversies surrounding it that you detail. Yes, Stefanik death is definitely the most discussed topic uh, about Stefanik uh, because his his uh, this plane accident wasn't properly investigated uh, uh, after um, after it occurred and uh, what led to a lot of conspiracy theories uh, about who shut him down, why was it so and so on and so on. Like if we if we do some kind of well if I can say it, neutral <laughs> historiographical analysis, there is not any proof that uh, that can show that Stefanik was assassinated or or something like this. Uh, if uh, all the all the all the evidences available today, uh, if if I take them into consideration, I can I can easily say that uh, it was uh, it was simple a simple uh, accident. But. Uh, those discussions, as I as I mentioned it already in my in my previous questions, uh, the, the, those discussions about Stefanik's about Stefanik's identity, but mainly about Slovak identity, I think they led to the creation of two concepts of Stefanik. On the one hand, we had a Slovak concept of Stefanik, and on the other hand, we had Czechoslovak concept of Stefanik. And this these two concepts has three. Mm, important uh, characteristics. First of all, this Slovak Slovak concept is saying that Stefanik's identity was uh, was Slovak one. Maybe he had this this ethnic identity. He was Slovak. Maybe he had this political Czechoslovak uh, identity, but it's not important. On the other hand, this Czechoslovak concept is saying that uh, Stefanik's ethnical and political identity was Czechoslovak. That he was. A real Czechoslovak, he didn't believe in any Slovak nation and his his political identity. I, I don't think that anybody can discuss <laughs> uh, discuss this his political identity because it was really Czechoslovak. And then the second the second characteristic is that as Stefanik, as Slovak, as uh, mm, as, as ethnic Slovak, this Slovak concept, he wanted uh, that Slovakia has an autonomy within Czechoslovakia. On the other hand. This Czechoslovak concept says that, uh, well, obviously there was no reason to have uh, for, for Slovakia to have autonomy, as Stefanik didn't consider Slovaks as, as a specific as a specific uh, nation or people. And this led to the third uh, to the third characteristic that I think that is the most important, and those are the relations uh, on one hand uh, uh, between Stefanik on one hand, and on the other hand between. Benes and Masaryk, because this Slovak concept says that that those uh, mm, mm, 
those quarrels, those uh, discussions, uh, those fights between uh, Benesh and Masaryk on one hand and on on, on other hand uh, Stefanik uh, were about the about the about the autonomy of the of Slovakia and if Stefanik didn't agree with the centralized Czechoslovakia they were supposed to assassinate him <laughs> so this is this 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 is Slovak uh, Slovak concept is saying this and on the other hand this Czechoslovak concept is saying that Stefanik didn't have any conflicts with Benesh and Masaryk and uh, so thus they didn't have any reason to assassinate him and uh, also this uh, this harmonical this this harmonical um, life between two Czechs or one Moravian Masaryk, one Czech Benesh and one Slovak Stefanik was a symbol of the harmonical or of the har- of the harmony of uh, of of the nations or the people living in the in the Czechoslovakia. Of course, there was a, there there are another um, another. Mm, let's say explanations of Stefanik life of Stefanik of Stefanik's death, uh, mainly by communists or anti-Freemasons. But I will I will not go I will not uh, go uh, deeper in this. But I will just like mm, to uh, to explain this Czechoslovak concept and this Slovak concept because uh, uh, this Czechoslovak concept uh, it was Stefanik was very useful because it could uh, uproot Slovaks. From its uh, from their Hungarian past, because Slovaks were part of the Hungarian kingdom for uh, at least 90, 900 years, and showing Stefanik as, as anti-Hungarian was very was very helpful to this Czechoslovak concept uh, uh, to uh, in order to uproot Slovaks from from their Hungarian Hungarian uh, past. On the other hand, Stefanik and his harmonical relations with Benesh and and Stefanik were symbols. Uh, of the of the um, uh, of the positive uh, of the positive identification of Slovaks with uh, Czechoslovakia. On the other hand, the Stefanik uh, uh, Stefanik uh, or Slo- Stefanik Slovak concept uh, could play the same uh, the same negative role toward, uh, towards hung- uh, Slovak uh, towards Hungarian uh, Hungarian past uh, for Slovaks, but uh, as he was supposedly. Uh, assassinated by Czechs, it could uh, it could uh, uh, negatively identify Slovaks towards Czechoslovakism and later towards uh, uh, towards Czechoslovakia. So this uh, this uh, Slovak concept of Stefanik he he deals with the two most important challenges challenges of the creation of the of the Slovak identity. It was. Uh, the, it was the negative identification uh, towards the Hungarian past, and uh, and Slovak identity had to respond uh, to or find uh, its position towards towards the towards the Czechoslovak identity. I think those 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 were two crucial points of the creation of the of the Slovak identity in the 20th century. Great. So. We've taken up quite a bit of your time, but I do have one substantive question left, and then we'll do the sort of standard ones. Um, the last chapter of your book is dedicated to the historical memory of Milan Rostislav Stefanik, and I'd like you to maybe briefly describe for us what the what the trajectory is of how he's remembered and and how what well, what his place in Slovak national memory is today. Okay. 
thank you. I will be. <laughs> I will try to be <laughs> as brief as as possible. Uh, Stefanik, uh, in the interwar period, he was seen or he was presented as a hero. Of course, there were statues uh, uh, of him erected all around the, the mainly all around the Slovakia, but also in some cities in Czechoslovakia, also in France. Uh, in in 16th uh, uh, in 16th district in Paris, there is there was uh, Stefan or there is still Stefanik the Stefanik Square. Uh, but the great turning point uh, came uh, in 1948 with the communist takeover. That and because uh, according to the to the communist explanation of history, Czechoslovakia was not born thanks to the thanks to the support of the Western countries, but thanks to the Bolshevik Revolution. And uh, so the communists wanted to break down this bourgeois legend of the of the creation of the of the of the Czechoslovakia. And what played in Stefanik uh, disfavor was also that he fought against Bolsheviks uh, in Russian civil war. There was a, there was a small mm, uh, there was a short exception during the political detent uh, by the end of sixties. So it's also known as Prague Spring. But uh, uh, but uh, during the normalization, this uh, this, tra- this traditional position of communist continued. But funnily enough, Stefanik was denounced by unpopular regime. I think it only boosted his popularity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, today he's seen as one of the most important person of Slovak history. In, in every sociological survey, he is among three top personalities. More, most often uh, he's on the top. And in uh, 2019, that was public poll, uh, called the greatest Slovak. Uh, so the, the question was, was, was the greatest Slovak? And Stefanik, uh, of course, won it. And but he won it. Uh, he among the ten, among the top ten personalities, he won half of all votes. So it, yeah. it really shows us that uh, that uh, that he was he was really popular. But we have to we have to take into consideration that it was it was the centenary of his death, and um, it's also. It's also interesting that uh, uh, that Stefanik's death death is uh, much more commemorated than his <laughs> than his uh, than his birth. So mm-hmm. this gave him a lot of place in in Slovak uh, in, in Slovak public uh, or mediatic uh, uh, discourse. And also um, year before in 2018, it was the centenary of the birth of Czechoslovakia, where Stefanik, from Slovak point of view, was uh, was the crucial person. So. Two subsequent years, he had really strong position in media cover, and he was mm-hmm. in all the important speeches of politicians, and so on and so on. So I think it really boosted his popularity. But there is no, uh, there is no, uh, there is no any doubt that Stefani is very popular among Slovaks. Great. So um, to finish up today, I just want to ask if you have any. Uh, recommendations for recent books in in Slovak or Eastern European studies that you would recommend to listeners yes I, I really like uh, I really like the book of Viji Hutečka. I think mm-hmm. uh, I think new books <laughs> network uh, already already interviewed him and men main under under fire mm-hmm. but I would recommend also the book of uh, Gabriela Dudekova Kovačova uh, she's colleague of mine uh, in the Institute of History of the Slovak Academy of Sciences, and she wrote the book Človek vo vojne, uh, 
people at war. And it, this is the first social history of uh, of the World War One in on, on in Slovak in Slovak society. And as far as I know, her book will be soon translated into English. So even those who doesn't speak Slovak, I think there is a lot of a lot of our our listeners that don't speak Slovak, they will be able to to read her book in in English. And I can also recommend uh, uh, another collective volume uh, edited by Jakub Drabik. Uh, it's called Operation Danube Reconsiderate. Reconsiderate. Uh, so it's uh, Operation Danube, as maybe uh, our listeners know. It's it's the it's the Soviet in, or, or it's the invasion of Warsaw Pact uh, uh, armies into Czechoslovakia into 1968. Great, thank you. That sounds. Those both sound really wonderful. And then, um, what projects are you currently working on, Michal? Well, now I, I, I will try to. I'm trying to uh, to write, write a social history of uh, of French uh, French military missions in uh, in Central Eastern Europe from 1914 until 1938, because France sent a lot of. Uh, a lot of military missions in, uh, in Romania, Czechoslovakia, Poland, uh, uh, Greece, and so on and so on. And from political point of view, we I think those uh, those missions, political, diplomatic, and uh, and military point of view, those missions were were already uh, greatly analyzed. But I would like to I would like to come with more. Uh, I would like to analyze them from the point of view of the social history. Great, thank you so much. No, thank uh, you. Thank you very much. So uh, this has been um, Michal Kšinjan discussing his new book, Milan Rastislav Štefanik, the Slovak national hero and co-founder of Czechoslovakia, published by Rutledge in 2021. And it's this uh, talk has been brought to you by the New Books Network. And I'm your host, Leslie Waters. Until next time. <laughs>